take your balloons to the next level as we delve deeper into what truly makes a professional balloon artist with your host, Zivi Kivi. Now, welcome to the Balloon Artist Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Balloon Artist Podcast. My name is Zivi Kivi and you're listening to Season 1, Episode 1. In the Balloon Artist Podcast, we explore different ways on how to improve our professional abilities as balloon artists. Specifically to Season number 1, we're exploring different ways of how to earn more money by using balloons. Today I'm going to interview Sue Baller from the very best balloon blog. You probably know of Sue Baller or met her work on Facebook. She's an awesome decorator and a great teacher. I've had the privilege of meeting Sue multiple times. I'll tell all about that in the interview. And what she talks about is basically a blueprint of how to go into the decor world. I think all of you twisters out there will really enjoy that. Uh, because going into the decor world and starting to offer your customers with some touches of decor in your twisting events, whether you are a twister with line work for birthdays or for corporate events or whatever, will improve your income. Uh, Sue Baller speaks about the principles of designs and she gives inspiration ideas and she also talks about conventions quite a lot and that's something that you should definitely consider. You'll hear about what is Sue Baller's best convention for going into the decor world inside this interview. So uh, I'll see you at the other end of the interview and enjoy season one, episode one. Here's Sue Baller. Hello, Balloon Artists Podcast Nation. Uh, I'm very excited today. Uh, today, today we are interviewing Sue Polo, who many of you already know, but I have a very uh, long-term connection with Sue. Sue Polo was a teacher in the Balloon Artist Convention in Israel. Uh, the Balloon Artist Convention is called uh, Balloonland, and. Uh, she was our teacher like in three different years where uh, we were basically able to to learn so many so many fields of uh, decorations like for weddings and columns and walls and uh, every year she came back with new surprises and uh, I had the privilege of attending uh, WBC 2014 and uh, in the CBA the certified balloon artists practical exam. I had the privilege of having Sue Baller as my judge and uh, it was it's really uh, like a closing a, a full circle here. Uh, I'm very honored to interview you Sue and welcome to our show. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to be here. Uh, so before we start, why won't you uh, tell us please a little bit about your uh, career in the balloon industry and what is interesting on your table uh, in the last uh, few weeks or months? My career started, dare I tell you, uh, almost 25 years ago. Um, I, I suppose if I'm very honest, it, I started as a hobbyist. Um, I found balloons I was trying to find a small business um, to do uh, casually uh, with a friend. Um, I say casually because I had a very young family. 
um, and I wanted something that I could do um, that would generate some income, but equally um, it would give me, you know, the flexibility with a young family. Also, I wanted to work with a product that was non-perishable. So if I didn't use the balloons for a month or so, that they would be absolutely fine. Um, I found balloons quite by accident, um, and it was a, a really fantastic journey from day one. Um, I very quickly discovered uh, a party show, which really blew my mind away. Um, I couldn't believe what could be done with balloons. You know, my thought was just a balloon on a ribbon that could be delivered. But then I saw these amazing sculptures very, very quickly. And it was a huge, huge excitement and something that I wanted to do. However, I will be very honest, for the first four years, I really didn't understand what I was doing in terms of running a business. And at the end of the four years, I had to make a very big decision because I wasn't making any money. And if I didn't make money, what was the point? Um, as much as I enjoyed what I was doing, uh, you know, if this was going to be a business, it had to generate some income. So I either gave up my passion, which it was by then, or I turned it into a, a, a proper business. And funny enough, that was when I discovered the QBM program. Um, Pioneer Europe were extremely supportive. It was very early days of the QBM when I did mine. And uh, in fact, I was probably one of the second groups in the UK to actually be assessed, which was very good. And that really did help me because at that point I actually understood how to, to cost my work. Because up until then, I can honestly tell you, I had been guessing prices. I had been guessing prices. I had no idea how many balloons to order for a job. I had no idea how much helium I would need. And it was touch and go all the time. You know, would I actually be able to achieve what I wanted to achieve? So it was huge. It was fantastic for me. It really, really motivated me. Um, and then I was encouraged to attend a convention. And my very first convention was in Paris. And my friend and I drove there in my little tiny car. And again, that was the most incredible experience. I actually um, went on three of Marvin Hardy's courses. Uh, which was incredible because I had no idea about modeling balloons at all at that time in my career. So I thought, no, I want to learn a little bit about twisting because I felt that there was a need to learn and signed up for three of his classes. Um, I just about coped with the beginner class, but uh, when I attended his intermediate and advanced, it, I actually was blown away and had no idea. And if again, if I'm honest, it put me off twisting for quite a few years because wow. it, I really just didn't get it. And I thought, no, this is not for me. Um, but the rest of the convention was very enlightening and very uh, exciting. Um, I loved Marvin Harvey, don't get me wrong, and I loved what he did, but it, I just couldn't get to grips with, with the, the concept of twisting, um, which I was at the time very desperate to do. The other thing about attending Paris... Um, this will show you my competitive side, was having never been to a convention or anything, I, I had made this decision that if I was going to drive all this way to Paris, that I had to get the most out of attending this convention. So I entered every single competition, which again was a huge, huge learning curve. Um, I took it as it was intended, as, as a, 
as an educational thing. I didn't for one minute imagine that I could ever win anything, uh, which I didn't, of course. But I loved being part of the process. Um, and I actually learned so much from looking at everybody else and seeing what they were doing, um, which proves a point because after that convention, I came home. Um, and then I think it was about two or three months later that there was a, an event, uh, a balloon event in the UK that I attended. And again, I decided I would throw myself into it full heartedly because I felt that every time I attended these conventions, it, I was growing so much. And again, I entered the competitions. And on this occasion, I actually got a first place. Wow. I know. Yeah, on, on what... Uh, what uh kind of uh, dominant was that it was a delivery design cool so it was well within my field it was exactly the sort of things that I was doing and it was such an incredible boost to my confidence that yes I could do it that really gave me the encouragement to, to, to make the biggest leap in my career and that was to attend I it was a convention called IBAC and I attended that the following year IBAC 13 Again, I entered every single competition and my, my biggest, I wouldn't say failing, but my one thing that I'm not very good at is, is uh, sculptures. And it's, it's always been a bit of my nemesis, really, because I just, don't, I just don't get them as easily as other things. I love centerpieces. I love delivery designs. And sculptures are just, I think I get overwhelmed by the size of the whole thing. I sort of lose the plot really I just I can't see the big picture and I'm in awe of everybody who builds large sculptures but uh, anyway I attended IBAC 13 again it was just the most incredible journey for me and you know it's the first time I'd ever been to America and uh, I won again and uh, I came first in the centerpiece competition and that was absolutely huge for me because I, nobody knew who I was, and I developed so much from the year before, from going to Paris to the following year to going to, to IBAC, and even I could see that I had, you know, the, the confidence had grown, my skills had grown, and this was the start of my journey. So it took me from the start of my business probably five years to establish myself. Uh, as as the designer that I wanted to be, so that was quite a lengthy introduction to my very beginning of my <laughs> career. But yeah. it's important because I sometimes get a little frustrated when I I look at Facebook and read people's comments about the fact that their people are saying, "Oh, I'm not. My business isn't growing." You know, and they may have only started six months ago, or they haven't really invested the time, or the energy, or even the money to to grow um and it you know with all the best will in the world unless you put something into it it's not just going to naturally happen you really do have to work hard to establish yourself and 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 get somewhere going back to IBAC that was really my platform for becoming an instructor I'm actually a trained instructor I've been teaching people since I was 19 years old in various different uh, guises. I worked in retail for many years as a, as a training instructor. So I've always worked with adults and I've always taught them, whether it be in selling skills, 
or I actually at one point worked with people who were trying to get back into work. So I was teaching them how to become more confident, how to present themselves. So teaching is, is a natural thing for me. Once I started to develop my skills and become a more, more of a designer in terms of a competition winner, and then I was in, approached to start to teach, it was a, just a natural progression for me. And, and for me, that was the perfect scenario because I was doing something that I absolutely loved, but teaching is also a passion of mine. So the two really grew together. So that really became my journey. Although I carried on running my business for 10 years, what changed for me is I actually moved locations. I moved from one part of the UK to another. And that was a huge turning point for me because I had to make a decision. Do I reestablish myself as a balloon business or do I go into teaching full time? And that's what I did at that point. So I went into teaching for a floristry college um, in in London, which actually offered balloon art skills. And we used to teach that as a full-time course at different levels. So that was, that was a really huge part of my life for that point. So I was still ballooning. I was still visiting conventions, but I was teaching. And after, I think it was probably about four or five years, I was then approached by Conwin, who are the manufacturer of uh, equipment and asked if I would work for them, um, which was in 2002. And I worked for them for seven years as their sales and marketing manager, which was a, a wonderful job. I got to travel the world, meet lots of lovely people, obviously demonstrate the equipment, but continue with my passion of, of being a balloon artist and designer. And then for the last five, six years, um, which brings you up to date, really, um, I've been working for Pioneer Europe as a freelance instructor. And I also work for Pioneer Balloon Company as a social media columnist, really, which really has given me the opportunity to share a huge amount of my knowledge and, and experience and passion, really. Um, and that's through writing the very best balloon blog, which I've been doing for five years. And I love it. Wow. What a journey it is from, you know, being a training instructor from age 19 to starting your way as a designer in the balloon industry and for four years to really not making enough money or not making money at all. Like a lot of businesses, the... Sure experience in the beginning and then to 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 really put your heart into it through the QBM system and starting to attend the conventions and I, I guess that looking back into the convention in, in Paris it's such a, a unique experience to compete in all of the uh, different fields and then a year after to win first place wow it must have been so so fulfilling for you I have to ask, did you, did you uh, during those many years and struggles, did you know you would like one day to become an instructor in the balloon industry? Um, I think it was, as I said to you earlier, really, it, it, it just allowed me just to put everything that I loved into, into one job, really. 
when I was first asked to become an instructor, or, or my very first teaching opportunity was, was when I was at IBAC. And it was the following year that I attended as a delegate. So I went back to IBAC 14 and, and entered again. And I was sitting with a group of friends. And that is the other thing about conventions, I just want to say, is that the people that I met in those early days in Paris and, and, and in Chicago are still really, really good friends of mine today. You know, that's when I first met Luc Bertrand. That's when I first met Topi. That's when I met Biggie and Mark Osborne from Germany. These guys are still in the industry today. They're still as passionate and they've been on the same journey as me. So, you know, you, you grow these fantastic relationships with people. I'd been doing a little bit of teaching for Pioneer Europe, just some small courses. Uh, and I was suddenly asked to, to teach in Japan and it was, it was phenomenal. And I think, I think that the, the thing about the conventions, particularly then, and I'm sure even now, is that they are a platform. Uh, winners at those conventions have got the opportunity to be spotted by people from around the, the world who then say, love what those people have done. We'd like them to come to our country and show us their style and show us their technique. So I do believe that competitions are a really good stepping stone for people who do want to get into teaching um, or even just have a little taste of it, if you know what I mean. It certainly worked for me and it certainly worked for, you know, other people that I know who are now, you know, very much teaching in the balloon industry. So um, how often do you post blogs on your, your very best balloon blog? My aim is to, blog, uh, to post a blog at least once a week. They're not short blogs. I do get, uh, every so often I get asked to try and make them a little bit shorter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I get a bit carried away when I write my blogs. I start with a subject and then I see all the different, all the different avenues it can go in. And I get, um, that's the sort of person I am. I, I want to give you a bit of this information and a bit of that information. And, and it, it really is me just, you know, giving my passion every time but um no i try and do uh, post one once a week i have got a little series of blogs coming up over the next couple of weeks about photography about the importance of of taking good photographs and and how people can build a good portfolio and um because i've broken it down into little sections i'll probably post those a bit sooner than weekly but generally once a week Cool. And uh, of course, we will put a link to the blog uh, on our uh, website. I just want to mention, like, the, it really is a very good resource, your blog. I, I really take my hat off. Like, I even remember uh, just a few days before flying to America to, to the WBC, and I was very nervous about uh, getting ready for the CBA practical exams. And... Uh, in your blog, uh, you just posted some technique and a video of how to create a stable column mm -hmm. of uh, like a five cluster uh, column. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it really made me feel a lot more relaxed, like seeing how you do it, uh, knowing how professional you are and then practicing it and uh, basically passing the exam, you know, it, it really was a, a part of it, uh, the ability to, to learn from you. So I really want to thank you again uh, for, for sharing all of the information 
with the rest of the community. Well, that's very sweet um, and kind of you to say that. I think what my thoughts are, particularly with things like the blogs on, on preparing yourself for your CBA exam, is that we are really fortunate in the UK. We have a fantastic uh, training program here. Uh, Qualitex has really built up these amazing core classes. So from, from beginners classes through to whether it be my wedding series that I teach or whether it's, um, you know, retail classes. But we have a phenomenal uh, number of classes here that are very, very good. But I know that that's not the same around the rest of the world. And, you know, there are people from all corners of the world who are embarking on the QBM program who are learning from home. They're learning from the DVDs, which are fantastic. But, you know, like you said, sometimes just seeing somebody doing it uh, in front of you quite simplistically makes you think, actually, I can do that. And, oh, I'd never thought of doing it like this. So, you know, for me, I, I suppose what I try and do with the blog or particularly with the subjects that I talk about is I take it back to how did I work that out? How did I resolve that? And, you know, often things that I know is purely because I made a mistake. You know, I was the one that put air-filled balloons inside a helium-filled balloons, and they all popped, you know, because I didn't know better. Nobody had ever taught me that. So it's things like that that it's important to share because, you know, <laughs> it's better that we learn rather than make the mistakes, although making mistakes is not a bad thing. <laughs> so uh, it's really uh, very interesting to learn uh, the, the, the long careers that you've been through. It sounds uh, like you're now uh, living the dream. Like how often do you fly to, to, to conventions? Um, I actually try not to travel as much as I did. When I worked for Conwin, I was traveling all the time. And I think at one point I discovered that um, I was away for more than six months of my life, which, you know, it sounds incredibly glamorous, but it really isn't. You know, often you're literally unpacking one suitcase, packing another, going to an airport, arriving in a country, being picked up, going to a hotel, teaching a class, which is fantastic, but then getting back into a car, going to the airport and coming home again. And, you know, you may have been anywhere in the world, but quite frankly, I could have been you know, 50 miles somewhere in the UK because you're not really experiencing the country. So, and it's not always practical to take time off when you travel because you have got other responsibilities. I, you know, it's not, I don't just travel and work. I actually have my social media job as well. So it's important that I, you know, I get back and I get doing real work as well. <laughs> um, so now I, I travel a little less. I'm very excited. I've got, I'm going back to um, Moscow in September. I haven't been to, to Russia for about five years. And I, you know, I do find the Russian or the Moscow Balloon uh, Convention very exciting because they have grown so much. I actually went to probably one of the earliest ones more than probably 12, 13 plus years ago. And in those days, you know, their knowledge or the knowledge of the balloon artist in, in Russia was, was quite minimal. But over that period, they, that market has grown phenomenally and the skills and the creativity 
And it's a really exciting place to travel to because I'm always blown away when I see, you know, the creativity and the skills. So, no, I'm very much looking forward to that trip. Cool. I, and, and, yeah, I, I have to agree. Like, uh, when you look in, uh, in the Facebook, on the pictures from the balloon artists from Russia, uh, it, it's just uh, quite astonishing how, how they have their very own techniques of creating uh, faces. Mm. And uh, uh, you can even identify uh, uh, some sorts of styles in, in the pictures, in, and the uh, technique is uh, astonishing, mm. really. So the topic of today's session is uh, uh, tips for the young balloon uh, artist uh, decorator. Mm -hmm. Like um, a lot of us uh, began uh, actually as twisters. And uh, we're, of course, we're in touch in many, with many balloon artists that uh, initially were doing only uh, twisting. And uh, a lot of us would like to go into decor. I'm doing it myself uh, at the moment in my business going into decorating newborn parties and, of course, uh, as an upsell for the birthdays. Uh, but uh, I would like to talk with you about all kinds of things that uh, a young decorator should know or should consider in order to make his life a little bit easier and to get rid of some of the fears. Sure. Um, you know, in terms of learning... Um, I think that just some core skills are very important. You've got to understand, obviously very much like twisting, that you know, balloons need to be inflated in a certain way. Um, to, be, be, to, to appear professional, you obviously got to make sure that everything is sized correctly and that they're tied correctly. So, so I, I agree. And uh, basically, uh, let, let's uh, give a little bit more detail. So okay. when, when you talk about sizing, obviously you're talking about the fact that uh, a good decorating piece uses the same sizes of balloons when, like, when it is needed. So if you make a cluster of four, you want each of those four balloons to be equally sized uh, if that's what you need in your design. But basically to, to be able to decide what you need, and to be able to determine the size of the balloon. Now, how, how would someone be able to, to, to make the right size? Okay, there are several different ways to size your balloons. Um, firstly, you can use something as simple as a hand pump, which ultimately is not going to be your favorite tool because if you do start to do bigger decor, doing everything by hand pump is gonna be very time consuming and, and obviously it's gonna lose all your profit. But to learn, you can use a hand pump and you can use the strokes on a hand pump to help you size. So a single stroke is equivalent to a three-inch mm -hmm. balloon. A double stroke is a four-inch and, and there, you know, and obviously it goes up from there. So we can develop onto using um, templates like either a sizing box that has holes in it. Um, and, but you're only going to get limited number of holes within a box so you're limited to the sizes that you can you can check or you could go to something called a slide and size which is a piece of equipment by click click and that will allow you to to alter it to any size that you are particularly looking for once you've got one of these boxes or you've a slide and size you can then upgrade your equipment so you can work from either a single outlet air inflator to something like the air force four 
that Coleman make, which allows, say, two people to work at a time and inflating two balloons at a time is going to speed up your productivity to a much better speed. The ultimate piece of equipment for a decorator in terms of air inflation is a piece of equipment called a precision air. You know, anybody who's got a, a skilled uh, job needs the right equipment for the job. And the precision air, although it's not the cheapest piece of equipment by any stretch, uh, it is fantastic. It automatically sizes balloons to the correct size every time. Yes, and I must say this was the course uh, that I chose, like I uh, own the Precision Air, and it just uh, simplifies my life uh, in terms of decorating, and I just remember the uh, amount of seconds or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, fragment of a second for each of my uh, designs, and it just uh, make it uh, a breeze to, to start to stack balloons. Absolutely, and it's not just about that it's about the confidence to know that you've got enough time to achieve what you hope to set out to achieve you know I can remember in my early days as a decorator actually being put off offering certain types of decor because I was scared that I wasn't going to be able to achieve those that decor in the amount of time that I had to do it however once I had the right equipment the complete opposite happened. I was able to achieve so much more in the same space of time that I actually increased my profit phenomenally. So it's a real catch-22. Everybody thinks it's an expensive piece of equipment, but ultimately by having it, you make so much more money. Therefore, you pay for the equipment really quickly, you know? Yes, I know, I know. And uh, so in terms of uh, tying your balloons correctly, mm -hmm. I assume you're talking about First, to make sure that there's no uh, air coming out, but also to make sure that the balloons are tightened one to another. Yes, that is probably one of the most important tips in terms of tying. Um, when you are creating uh, something like a duplet, which is where we tie two balloons together, it is really important how you tie that duplet. If you tie it so that you can stretch the two balloons apart, it means that those balloons will stretch apart in the design and it won't look good. So the tighter you can tie those two balloons together by pulling them closely before you knot them, you will get a much tighter, compact overall appearance of your decor and it really makes a visible difference. Right, and uh, just like in the twister world, uh, we try to hide the mechanics and we try to you know, uh, get a, a, a good clean look at the end of a sculpture and maybe even choose the right size of, uh, of balloon, like maybe incorporate a 646 uh, instead of, uh, I don't know, a 12-inch quick link just to make sure that we have the right shape of a sculpture. Just on the same level, uh, tying uh, the balloons in a decor work uh, can make a huge difference uh, in terms of the overall look. Oh, absolutely. Proportion and scale, again, is something that people need to understand. Understanding the elements and principles of design, as in using the right colours, using the right size balloons for the job that they're doing, uh, making sure that uh, everything works together so, so that, you know, if you're using, if you're creating a theme, i.e. something for a baby, then it, it looks like it's for a baby and it's not you know, you're not using blacks or, 
or the wrong textures or whatever you're making. You know, there is a lot to learn to becoming, you know, any, in any design industry, whether it's balloon artistry, whether it's floristry, whether you are an interior designer, there is a lot to learn. But all these things are very, very important. So, you know, understanding these things is, is essential. And I couldn't agree more. Like even uh, when you start to uh, dig in and learn the proportions and learn what scale is and learn the different harmonies of color, uh, it it basically helps you as a twister as well. Mm. Like you suddenly start to make uh, the, like notice the proportions of a head on a sculpture and play with it and see how it creates a different uh, result. And in terms of uh, decorating work, uh, it's uh, ever more important because uh, you're designing an event. So mm. you, you have a very huge impact on all of the people in the event mm. coming into it. Or, or, or even if it's ju- uh, just uh, one deliverable item, uh, proportions and scale can, can create a huge impact. I mean, the, the, the one word that is really important in elements and principles of design is harmony and harmony means that every single element of whatever you've made whether it be a small sculpture a twisted sculpture whether it be a delivery bouquet whether it be room decor is everything in that room or is everything within that design harmonious does it all work together so are the colors correct are the, uh, you know, is the proportions correct? Are the lines correct? So everything has to work. And, you know, when I'm a judge of a CBA assessment, the first thing when I look at a design is I want to see that everything within that design that's been made works. It, it belongs together. And then I can look at the other principles and elements and then judge them accordingly but it's always the overall picture that really matters and you know outside of the balloon industry I know when I look at a flower arrangement if it's good or bad without actually being able to spot exactly what's wrong with it I can instant instantly look at something and think that's perfect or oh I don't like that and there'll be a reason it might be that the, the placement the sizing the colors but then I'll decide why I don't like it afterwards Right, perfect. So those are the core skills. Now let's say someone uh, understood that either uh, learned from your blog or learned from uh, the QBN system, which I highly recommend. Let's say you have the core skills. Mm -hmm. Now what do you do? Creativity. Everybody wants to know where you get your ideas from. How do you become the creative person you are? And you know, you might be the best balloon artist in the world in terms of you might understand, you know, elements and principles of design, but how do you get that creativity? And creativity is about looking outside of the industry, funnily enough, um, or looking, not always outside of the industry. I mean, if I'm building a piece, um, I might actually start off looking at a foil balloon that has an image on it or a bubble balloon that has an image on it. And I look at all the elements on that balloon and think, right, how can I make that into my design? So I'll take elements of it. I've used children's colouring books. Children's colouring books are very basic, uh, have very simple lines. 
but they give you the perfect outline. So if I'm trying to design, I don't know, animal heads, for example, the best resource for me was to use a child's coloring book. That is such a nice uh, idea for creativity, like uh, looking at the way a picture or a drawing in a child coloring book, that's, that's such an interesting idea. So would you actually look at a picture or a drawing and then basically try to recreate it or get inspiration from it? Um, well, to give you an example, um, one of the first classes I ever taught um, in America, I was asked to design um, animal heads for, we had a um, jungle party for the Thursday night party and I was making animal heads. So I had to design a lion and a tiger and an elephant. And when I looked at the child's coloring book, because I couldn't get inspiration from looking at real life animals at all. But when I looked at the child's coloring book, I could see hearts for the lion. I could see hearts for the tigers, you know, it, and it, it was a way of, I suddenly started working with clusters, whereas normally we would work with four round balloons or five round balloons in a cluster. I was now putting hearts in my cluster. So I was maybe using, you know, a round balloon at the top and two hearts at the side and then three smaller balloons underneath. And now I've got an outline of a cat face, you know. It was, it just, it, I could visualise that child's picture in the colouring book in balloons. And it was a very easy transition, if that makes sense. <laughs> yes. And, uh, well, for me, it's easy to imagine it because I took your class uh, with those designs. Yeah. But uh, I, we will try to find some pictures and put them in the show notes. I actually have some really good pictures if you want me to send them over. Definitely. Now, okay, so let, let's talk a, uh, a little bit more about creativity. So looking at different fields, looking at the fields like for different materials, uh, that's something I know uh, you, you, you like to do in your uh, designs, like using maybe some fabric okay. or, so, uh, or some, some uh, even uh, confetti and so on. So that, that's one approach. What, what other things uh, can you do to start making your own designs and to, to be creative? Well, you know, one of my fields of expertise, if I can sort of say that, is I like to design for weddings. And what I, my objective with a wedding is that this is a very, it is the most important day of a bride's life or bride and groom's yes. life. And whatever we do has to fit in with their dreams and expectations. And I suppose what we need to do is we need to stop thinking about the fact that we create decor with balloons because that's although we are doing that literally what we are actually doing is creating dreams and and memories and you know the decor that we create has to fulfill those dreams and memories so you know I want to design something that has the right visual impact um, so for a wedding for example obviously hearts are very important or or if the bride and groom um, has a particular theme, say like vintage, I want to make sure that I can bring that theme within my decor. So I'll be looking at balloons that reflect that. So it will be things like the filigree balloons. And right. so, you know, I, I really do think a lot about the background before I think of the decor. Um, you know, weddings are romantic. So what helps to 
bring that through. So things like organza is very soft and flowing and pretty and elegant. Um, so it is a big process of trying to build the whole concept together. And But if you can pull up on all these thoughts, then the decor actually comes quite quite easily really you know and the Qualitex catalogue for me is my bible you know if I've got a a, a theme or a, a design I want to make I'm going to do my research and you know I'm going to go through the catalogue and I'm going to see all the different balloons that I could use to to build that design and then I'll just narrow it down from there. Do you think that uh, like from your experience would you go and study and research and then create a design without a customer first or you would wait for the customer to come and then try to use the opportunity to make a design for him i personally if you're building your business and you know that's the early stages that's something actually it's it's actually in something in my blog that's coming out shortly is about creating the opportunities to create a nice portfolio and you know it is those good photographs in your portfolio that's going to help you grow as a business and so it may be that you have to to build a portfolio by by doing stylized shots by not having a customer and creating a range of designs that would appeal to the type of client that you're trying to to work with so if you're trying to build a wedding business then it might be that you have to hire a venue and go out there, build some beautiful decor and get some professional photographs. So you've got something, you know, concrete to to show your customers that you can say, these are some ideas that I can share with you. And um, but, you know, I can go in any direction. So but, you know, I think that one of the biggest problems that people, new people have is that they don't have the portfolio photographs and there is no reason why they can't build their own. I think that one of the things that stops a lot of uh, twisters on uh, building their portfolio is uh, the fear that uh, you need a very big portfolio uh, to begin with. Uh, how many uh, like uh, creations or designs do you think are minimal, viable uh, amount of uh, items in a portfolio? Okay, that's a very big misconception about having a big portfolio. I think if you have five fantastic photographs versus 50 very poor ones, the five fantastic photographs are going to win every time. You know, Absolutely. People are going to get confused if they see too many things. I did exactly that. I mean, you know, one of the best sources of inspiration today um, is Pinterest. Um, Pinterest has become just the biggest resource for the client you know you can keep put in your keywords and you can get hundreds and hundreds or thousands of pictures that relate to that you know that particular th subject and you know there is no reason why if you are going to work with a, a bride or whoever it is whether it's a, a wedding or a party or whatever is that you don't prepare a little sort of Pinterest boards of ideas, as well as having your own portfolio to show a customer that could inspire them and just say, you know, this is my ideas. These are not my designs, but I'm 
perfectly capable of recreating these for you. And this is just a good starting point. That, that's such a valuable tip, like uh, creating a portfolio with five fantastic designs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even if you make one, you can, you, like in one day, you might be able to, to take photos of it in, in 10 locations. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, it's not that hard, even on one event, on one location, you could take a few pictures in the location in different, you know, angles and different uh, sub-locations, I would say. So uh, it's really not that complicated to make a good five fantastic designs portfolio. No. And I, I'm sure that, uh, like, um, in terms of being able to sell it, it just makes so, so much uh, so much sense for the customer mm -hmm. to to see that you're you're the best in this design absolutely you know and and the other thing that people have got to learn is that just if you make us let's talk about a small design so you've made something like a little character that you think will be a good seller you know where do you take your photograph um i often see people you know showing off a design that they've got on their kitchen unit or, yeah. you know, in a very poor location with poor lighting and background, that does not show professionalism. And, you know, you were, you were at the convention where uh, Peter was and, you know, he showed some really fantastic tips about making a very, you know, simple backdrop using even something as, as simple as an Ikea blind that creates just a very simple backdrop, just a little bit of good lighting, and you've got a fantastic photo, you know? it's. Yeah. I think people don't make the effort sometimes, and it's that effort that will make them stand out from their competition. Absolutely. Okay, so let's uh, let's uh, go over it. So you, you've learned the core skills. Mm -hmm. uh, you work on your creativity. You learn from different uh, fields. Or, and then you basically try to build a portfolio. What do you do next? I think what you've got to be careful of is not to try and be a master of everything. So it's, I think one of the things that we need to confirm early on is what, is, what are you aiming to do? Are you aiming to be uh, an event decorator or are you aiming to be somebody who makes the best deliverables? Or, you know, ultimately you could do everything, but... If you're going to try and build your business, I think you've got to build it in blocks. So don't try and do everything straight away. Absolutely. Um, I think that's so, so important. So, you know, I think that from that point, once you've built your skills, you've started to build your portfolio, you've become a little bit more of an expert on how to present your company, you really do need to consider your marketing. That's your next goal because you may have everything in place, but if you haven't got your customers, then you're not going to, that's ultimately what you're trying to achieve. And uh, you, you, you travel the world and you meet with a lot of decorators and balloon artists and you probably hear a lot of stories about their struggles and their marketing efforts. Like, what do you think is working now in terms of marketing? I think the first thing that somebody needs to have is a very good website. And I think a website these days is, is highly important. Um, and I see a lot of poor websites where people haven't 
necessary. I mean, I don't get me wrong. My website's not fantastic, and I actually build my own website, um, and it's a big learning curve for me. But you know, if you can get just a very simple website, but a very clean-looking website, that's really, really important. You know, it is very important that it's kept up to date. So, for example, our next big season is is I don't know about um, in Israel, but in UK and in many other countries, Halloween is our next big season. And, you know, if somebody is looking to get Halloween sales, whether it be for party decor or whether it be for retail sales, then they need to start showing that on their website. And there needs to be something on their homepage that attracts people instantly, you know, in Christmas and Valentine's or whatever the occasion is. Um, in terms of other marketing, um, you know, having a Facebook business page. So the difference between a personal page is where you have friends and a business page is where you have likes. So it's your business page that you need to build. Um, and that's your sort of social media marketing. I mean, some people use Instagram and other and Twitter as well. Um, so say you've done an event and something's occurred like, I, like that one, I don't know if you saw on Facebook recently, where uh, a twister was asked to make a ring, and then the the ring, yes, yeah, yes. And then he proposed to his girlfriend. That's exactly the sort of thing that you would write up editorial on and submit to your local newspaper. That makes your local community understand that you offer these services, or you know that you have this amazing business. So. You know, you've got to find good news stories, uh, things like, for example, if I ever attended a convention, I would always write a story when I got back to say that I'd been to America to develop my skills. And you know what I mean? It's And, and now with WBC, where everybody has the opportunity to win an award, whether it be a bronze, silver or gold or platinum, it means that everybody can go back and shout about their successes at WBC. You know, I think that we have to work hard, probably a lot harder than people perceive. Right. And uh, do you think that there are specific, like, I'm going to ask you a hard question now. Okay. Uh, if you only have to recommend one convention, and uh, it must be for learning and improving on the decoration field, uh, which uh, convention would you recommend? Um, I don't think it's a hard question at all because, um, you know, I've been to, as a delegate, not just as, a, as an instructor, as a delegate, um, for me, the, the best convention that I attended at the time was IBAC, which was by going to America to meet balloon artists from all over the world. And, you know, for me, that was as much, that was really important. The contacts and networking is as, as big as um as learning because those contacts become good resources for you forever you know if you've got questions or you need support or somebody just to talk to about oh, I'm, you know i'm really struggling but so for me today it would have to be the world balloon convention because the opportunity of learning at, at a convention of that magnitude is is you just won't get it anywhere else um The learning at WBC starts way before the convention. You know, delegates can arrive early. They can offer to help 
um, other delegates working on competition pieces, which is a, a humongous learning curve working on a large sculpture. If they don't want to do that, they can start working with some of the event designers because they start very early. So you're going to have the designer working on the uh, welcome decor. You can have the designer working on the Thursday night party. And you're going to have designers working, the designer working on the Saturday party already at the beginning of the week. So, you know, working with some of the top decorators that we look at and think, wow, you can go and work side by side with them. And then you've got amazing classes that you you know you know that you're only going to get the opportunity to see these people in one location every two years you know I think all education is amazing but they all offer something different and I think that the ultimate learning curve is is the World Balloon Convention. Cool thank you for that. Um, I also want to ask you about uh like standard piece basis. Okay. This is something that uh, a lot of twisters just uh, don't know where to start. Like, uh, what are a few uh, easy to acquire uh, solutions that you can recommend? Oh dear, it depends on what type of centerpiece you're trying to design. If it's something quite simple, you can work off a tile, just a wall tile, and make fixing points onto a, you know just a simple white tile. You can make fixing points. It's got a bit of weight. You need to be careful with things like that. The underside of them can be quite rough. So it may be that you have to cover the underside with some sort of felt material to make sure that you don't create any damage on a table surface that you're using it on. Something else that we work with are things like cake boards. Uh, again, quite inexpensive and create a good firm base for a design. If you're going a little bit more upmarket, um, I use uh, a product called Lomi, uh, which is made out of Perspex. So you get a Perspex base and then you get these Perspex columns that allow you to create an airfield design at two levels at base and, and at 30 inches. There's another product very similar to, to Lomi now called PlexiPole, which I actually think is a little bit more refined than Lomi. That's made by somebody who was in the balloon industry and it's quite an elegant alternative to Lomi. Something that I've been using in my own work because I, when I do table centerpieces for events, often my events are very, very big events in London that have very large tables. So I'm able to create something a little bit bigger and a little bit taller. And I've been using, um, dare I say it, lamp stands. They are usually, <clears throat> excuse me, usually very inexpensive. And, you know, if you're making like little sculptures that you're delivering or if you're making something that you want to put in position, I mean, they, these stands have their limitations. And, you know, if people try and use them to, to create decor for outside or something that's tall, then that's completely wrong because they aren't big enough and strong enough to support that but if you use them in the right way they are absolutely fantastic and you can cost them into the design which means you don't have to collect them back again and it makes it really easy for you right what about balloon stock like uh, a lot of uh, twisters they're afraid that they now will need to invest a lot of money in buying all of the colors and all of the sizes and so on of the circle balloons uh, the round balloons. So, uh, 
Do you have any tips about uh, managing uh, a, a stock? Hmm. Um, I think what I did when I first started is I invested in the stock as I went along. So if a particular you know, if I needed a particular colour for a, a bride, that was when I would invest in it. And then there would always be stock left over that I could carry forward and use for other jobs. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I would go out and buy all the balloons in all the colours. I think, you know, with if you again, if you're doing wedding work, you're going to be looking to use the pearl tones. If you're doing parties, then you're going to be using a lot more of the fashion tones. But... Um, that is a really difficult question. I think, you know, I I just grew my stock as I as I needed it. You know, I've got some I actually I have got a couple of little jobs that I'm doing in the next few weeks and you know, I've gone through what I've got and I've made a shopping list of what I'm going to need and so I'll invest in that and then, you know, what's left I can use again at later dates. So, yeah, it's, I think I think I will let it grow as you grow. Cool. And I think that uh, if to continue on the suggestion you mentioned before, like having a good portfolio with five uh, fantastic designs, mm -hmm. then uh, you, you pretty much have control over the colors that you need. So if you want to, uh, you know, market yourself into a specific uh, type of events, then you pretty much, you don't need all of the colors in order to have those five fantastic designs. Absolutely not. You know, and, and it is your opportunity to, you are the professional when you're talking to the customer. You know, you're the one that has the knowledge and, and the design ideas. So, you know, it's, that's your opportunity. Rather than sit there and say to the client, what do you want? You, I would rather say to a client, what is your aspirations from your event what are you looking for from your event and then from the feedback that I get from them then I can go back to them and say well I have some great ideas and this is what I would suggest that we do absolutely and uh, I really like those uh, two sentences with uh, with any client like asking him to explain about his aspirations and to 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 basically uh, let you into his dream mm. and then to come back to him and say, now I have some great ideas for you to fulfill this dream. So that's really the right way to create the conversation instead of, you know, talking about how much will it cost. Exactly. I mean, and that's the trouble is that so many people start the conversation by saying, you know, how much do you want to spend? And I think that that is the, the worst thing you could ever do because, you know, in reality, a, a client really doesn't know how much the balloons are going to cost. And at that point, we actually don't know what they're trying to achieve. So, you know, and, and, and maybe even they haven't really thought about it in a, in, a, in a big way, but by sitting down and saying to them, you know, you know we, can, we can achieve so many things with the balloons and we can, we can really make an impact and we can leave a lasting impression. You know, you tell me the type of event you're having and I will tell you exactly what we can do to, to make that even, you know, more spectacular. Right. And uh, we're almost uh, running out of time, but I really have to ask you to explain, like, how, do you, how would you explain what is the concept of perceived value? Ah, perceived value. Now, this is a really important skill. When we sell something, um, 
what we have to do to start with is that we have to work out the minimum selling price of how much we can sell something for. And the way we do that is through the system that we learn on the QBM program. And, and I do have quite a few blogs that cover that. So I'm not going to go into that in any great detail. But, you know, we have to make sure that everything that we sell makes us the minimum profit that we are looking to make. And that profit will make us develop and grow. However, not always should we use that as a, oh, really, we should never use that as our actual selling price. Because often when we make something, it has a far greater perceived value than the actual value that we've come up with um, in our job costing, for example. So um, I, to give you a really good example of this is that many, many years ago, I designed a tabletop bride and groom. And I designed the bride uh, for a competition that I entered. And I went to a wedding fair some weeks later. And the organizer of the wedding fair said to me, Sue, can you put some balloons on another table because they failed to turn up? So I said, yeah, no problem. So I thought, this is my opportunity to make something. And I'm talking over 20 years ago uh, that potentially people have never seen before. And I was being a little bit sneaky because I thought, well, if I don't put it on my table and if people don't like it, then they may not associate it with me. Anyway, to cut a very long story short, I made a bride and groom, just a tabletop bride and groom, and I put it on this table. The response was absolutely phenomenal. And I had so many orders for that little tabletop bride and groom. The biggest mistake was that I didn't work out how much I should sell it for. So I had to make up a price. And in those days, I think I sold it for £25 for the pair. Then I started to become an instructor. And one of the things that I used to teach was the bride and groom. And I would have people saying to me, I sell them for... I was quite proud. I'd say, well, I can sell these for £25. And the job costing on them was much, much lower than that, I have to say. And people would say to me, you're mad. I can sell it for £40 or I can sell it <laughs> for £50. And that's what perceived value is, is that, you know, that if you make something that people look at and see it and they say, I want those, the price really doesn't matter because, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, it's what it means to them. It's the value it is to them. What you have to think of is, you know, it may not be what you would necessarily want to spend on a piece of balloon art, but if it appeals to your customer, they will spend the money on it. Absolutely. And uh, that, that's a very key, key part of pricing, like to remember what is your minimal uh, selling point, but uh, to to try to never ever use it and to understand the customer's uh, um, event and what it would be your contribution to this event. And if the contribution is perceived as phenomenal and uh, that is something that you work to achieve, then the price must be uh, higher than the minimal one. Absolutely, you know. When we decorate events, you know, I've decorated some fairly big corporate events in the last couple of years. You know, it, everything is important at that event. The venue, the food, the, you know, the band, the music, whatever. But the biggest impact of that event is the balloons. That's what, that's what people see 
when they that, and and that's what people will talk about sure you know that's and you know i've spoken to some of the organizers afterwards and they've said you know the client was blown away by how the room looked when everybody walked in and that's what you're trying to achieve is that that feeling of wow when people walk in it's it's not oh it's balloons it's wow that is you know absolutely stunning and you you are the one that's setting the scene you are the one that's creating the atmosphere at that party so you know your worth your work is worth pricing accordingly um you know we sh- i think some people get very shy at pricing because they think oh well i wouldn't pay that but you know you are not your client <laughs> that's what you've got to remember yes uh well we've covered so much like from uh, the core skills to creativity ideas and some tips about how to build your marketing and how to build your portfolio initially and how to build your stock up to the point of talking about which convention to go to and how to price yourself. I feel like uh, there are so many good tips and uh, ideas here. Uh, so I, I can't thank you enough. I would like to ask you, like, uh, what are the places where you recommend people should go if they want to learn more about what you do? Ah, about me, about what I do? Yes. Oh, the best place to, to find out about me is, is the very best Bloom blog because 90% of the blogs are with my experience. So you're, you're, you're definitely going to find out, you know, if I'm traveling to an event like the Balloon Land event, um, I like to, to write up about it afterwards and, and about the people that I meet and about the different things that I see. So really, I would say that's my, your best place really to find me. Cool. And uh, do you have any, any thing that you would like to uh, add uh, at this point? Like, uh, is there something else uh, would you like to, to share with us? Uh, maybe tell us a little bit about uh, your product. Um, I have, actually, I have a, a brand new DVD which I'm extremely excited about. I've already have one DVD called Balloon Decor One, which I basically designed because I felt that it was, there was a need for people to learn from basics through to a more creative level. And, and so Balloon Decor One really shows the steps of growing in a particular concept. So it might be on centerpieces or it might be on working with uh, characters or I don't know, different things like that hearts and arches and in each project I work at three different levels so that there's a really good growing and learning curve and so in you can learn a lot uh, in that one but my new DVD um, I am really very excited about because um, it shows uh, 14 of my favorite ever designs that I've ever created um, because it's a way for me to record those for forever, really. Um, and, you know, included, to give you an idea, included on that DVD is my original bride and groom that I designed over 20 years ago. However, over the years, I have developed it and modified it and made it better. So ultimately, it's at its best level ever. So it was it was a really um, nice project for me to do. So I'm, I'm very excited about that new DVD. 
So, so if one of our listeners would like to uh, check it up in September, where, where will we be able to, to, to check that? They can buy it from my website. I have a, a, a web a shop on my website, and my website is simply subola.com. Cool. And we'll add a link to that as well. Perfect. Uh, Sue, I can't thank you enough for your time and for sharing with us your knowledge It's always a, a pleasure to hear the way you explain things. It's just so clear. And uh, thank you so much for joining the podcast. No, thank you so much for inviting me. I've, I've really enjoyed speaking to you today. And, you know, I, I do hope that, uh, that your listeners enjoy learning from a little bit of my experience. And, you know, if people do... Uh, have questions that they ever want to ask you know the one of the best places to to communicate is on we have a qualitex uh, Facebook group and you know people are welcome to post any questions there's never a silly question on there and cool often I'll pick up on those and and guide people so yes you're very generous also in the Facebook uh, with sharing your ideas no. definitely it's what I like to do so thank you again Sue Paula and See you quick. See you soon. See you soon. Wow, what an interview. That was Sue Baller and I really liked how thorough she is and how deep is her understanding. That was so awesome. I would specifically mention the children coloring book technique that she uses. Man, buying children coloring book can be so... Uh, cost-effective. It's easy uh, to do. You just go to... the toy store and buy some, I guess. And uh, it's a very nice idea for uh, getting inspiration for new designs. I also liked her idea about the portfolio. Uh, using core designs in your portfolio makes much more sense to me to have five great designs that you know how to do top-notch instead of having a huge portfolio of mediocre designs. I also would like to emphasize uh, Sue Boller's tips about sales conversation. Listen, these things work for Sue because they actually work. Using those two phases of first listening to the customer, asking him or her what are your aspirations from the event, and then telling them as the expert, here are my ways of how to realize your vision of how to make this event a wow event, I think that's a very clever, and uh, after interviewing Sue, I already started to implement that and, and use that in my sales speeches. So I hope you've enjoyed that. Well, that was the interview for today and the first episode. Please stay till the end of the track. After the music, you'll hear a hidden tip, and uh, I hope you'll enjoy that part as well. Uh, feel free to visit us at balloonartistpodcast.com. And give us a comment there. We have uh, some nice goodies for you there. So thank you a lot. I was Zivi Kivi from the Balloon Artist Podcast. Hi there, everyone. Today's tip is about how to send emails to your prospects. 
uh, ahead of time. So let's say you booked someone, but you want to send him an email a day before the event. And you don't want to remind yourself of doing it. Or let's say after event, you want to send him a reminder 11 months later about how fun the event was. Well, the greatest tool that I found to do that exactly is called Boomerang. Boomerang is a Chrome extension. You can download it into your Chrome and it basically it, is, it integrates into your Gmail account. So it's only for Gmail for now. But uh, it's so useful that I've switched to Gmail just for using this feature. It's that good. The, the main feature of Boomerang is that it adds a send later button. You can use the send later button and determine when to send the email that you need. So you can uh, book an event and then already schedule the email that you will send to your customer and determine when you will get it. I'm using this all the time now and it really improves my ability to maintain a connection with my prospects and with my customers. So I hope you check out Boomerang and... See you next time on the second episode of the Balloon Artist podcast. See you soon.